I'm thankful again for songwriters that have the ability to put words and music together that give us the opportunity to express the hunger and the desires of our heart. Open your Bibles again to Joshua 23 and just mark your Bible as we will look at some verses in chapter 23 and chapter 24 as I preach this morning on the subject, Great Advice for Any Generation. Great advice for any generation. And I do not preach a lot of sermons in this style, uh, but I will preach somewhat of an expository message this morning uh, looking at this uh, passage of Scripture and uh, gaining uh, some great advice, good for all generations. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I open the Word of God this morning, help us to understand that it is more than a textbook of facts and figures. It is more than a recording of history past. It is the living Word of God. And it has a power and an effect upon us that no other book has. And Lord, I pray that you would use it in our lives, that we would apply it personally. We would work to apply it in our marriages, in our homes, our family. We would work to apply it in our church, and we would hunger that it would be applied in our nation, especially to those who are of the righteous remnant, those who are called by your name. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. I ask that our attention would be given. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse number one sums up these two chapters very well. Israel has now received the inheritance that God has promised them, referred to several times as the promised land. The faithful leader Joshua, whose responsibility was to carry on the work that Moses had started, God had delivered them. They were once slaves in the land of Egypt. And he delivered them not just to be delivered, but to enjoy the blessings of the promised land, which represents the victorious Christian life. Joshua was one of the most successful second leaders that you find in the Bible. The reason being is Joshua did not use his own ideas, philosophies, or opinions in leading the children of Israel, but he continued to follow the instruction that God had given to both Moses and to Joshua. And Joshua oversees the 12 tribes receiving their inheritance. There have been many years of peace, and peace is always the result of obedience to God. I'll say it again, peace in our life or peace in a nation is the result of us being obedient to God. And so Joshua comes to the end of his life. The Bible says that he is old and that he is well stricken in years. And he gathers together in chapter 23 uh, the heads, the leaders of the nation of Israel. He brings them into his presence and he communicates to them what is on his heart as he knows there will soon be a transition of leadership uh, from his life to another. 
chapter 24, he enlarges the crowd that he speaks to and he invites the second time, not just the leaders of the nation of Israel, not just the elders, but he invites all of Israel to attend and he gives to them some very good advice that is helpful, not just for these people, but for any generation. He wants to encourage Israel to stay the course for God. And my purpose today is to say to you and I, let's stay the course for God. He saved us. He's given us a new name and a new name in glory. He's given us a life to live. Let's not turn back. Let's not quit. Let's move forward in the will of God. Joshua knows that the old guard, those who had known Moses and Joshua are swiftly dying off. When I read these words, it reminds me of our nation and realizing that we have just about lost most of our World War II veterans. And that greatest nation and that greatest generation of, of, of Americans to ever live, those men that preserved our freedom they're dying and they're passing off the scene. Joshua knows that a new generation is coming along. They had not seen all the miracles of the Lord. They had heard them, but hearing them and experiencing them is two different things. And so before he dies, he wants to remind them of the God they serve. He wants to remind them of the God that had brought them to where they are. One remind them that it was God that had blessed their life and it blessed their nation. He wanted to remind them that the land that they now lived on, the land that they now had peace in, the land that they had now uh, uh, called their own to raise their own uh, uh, cattle and their own animals, their own livestock, their own crops. He wanted them to know that, that wasn't earned by the might and power of men. That was a result of God blessing a group of people. He wanted them to know what you have and may I say this morning, this United States of America, I am thankful for the military. I am thankful for various leaders through the years and, and inventors and all of those. But dear friend, blessings come from God and Joshua wanted them to know all that you and I enjoy today, it comes from the Lord. When I read these words of Joshua in these two chapters, I'm reminded of uh, the first, second, and third epistles of John. Uh, those letters written as an old man to a second and a third generation that was coming on just after the days of Christ. There's several things I want to give you, and I would hope that you would maybe even write down a single word as we go through the chapter. First of all, in uh, verses 1 through 8, uh, he gives them some cautions, some things he's concerned about, some things that he believes are very, very important. The first of those, he cautions them about complacency. Notice, if you will, in verse number 6. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefore to the right hand or to the left. 
He said, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll become complacent uh, in uh, uh, understanding the law. You'll become complacent in obeying what God has said to do. Sometimes Christians become complacent in our Christianity. We become complacent and we're lax in our prayer life. We become complacent and we get lax in our Bible reading. We become complacent and we get lax in our giving out of the gospel. We become lax in our behavior. We become complacent. And I don't know of anything that would curse or ruin an individual and a church any more than just becoming complacent. I'm reminded of what the Bible says of the Laodicean church. Uh, they, he said, are like water uh, that is lukewarm. Now they understood what that meant because in the town of Laodicea they brought in uh, through piping uh, both cold water from the mountains of Colossae and they brought in hot or warm water from Aeropolis and of course cold water was used uh, for drinking and uh, they enjoyed the fresh water. I remember as a boy uh, drawing water from a, uh, our well or going uh, to the well that had a hand pump and and that water from deep in that well, boy, that first bit of water was good. It was cold. It was good in the summertime. How many of you all had a water bucket in your house with a dipper? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, some of you know, uh, I can't help but to think of a preacher that was visiting uh, one of his ladies uh, in church. And he went to see her and she had one of those buckets, you know, uh, with a dipper. And uh, he uh, wanted a drink of water. He was thirsty. And uh, she said, my preacher, she said, uh, just get you a, a drink there. The dipper's hanging there. Uh, just get you a drink. And he noticed that she'd been chewing a little tobacco. She had a little bit on her jaw right there and. He didn't know if he wanted to drink out of that dipper or not. He picked up that dipper, he put it in the water, and he turned around and he drank out of the backside of the dipper. She slapped him on the back. She said, Preacher, I can't believe it. You drink out of the dipper just like I do. <laughs> After a few hours, that cold water bucket, you go get a drink of water and it'd be, it'd be warm. It wasn't any good for drinking anymore. And somebody in the house would say, go draw another bu a bucket of fresh water. That water has become old and warm. And that's what he'd said to the church at Laodicea. He said, the hot water has got cold and it's not good for bathing. And the cold water has become a lukewarm. It's not good for drinking. And he said to the church at Laodicea, you've become so complacent. You're like lukewarm water that would make you, make you vomit. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. It's no good. It's not enjoyable. And Joshua says to the people, I'm concerned that you become complacent. And may I say, we always have an enemy. We always have the devil that's fighting against us. And we cannot become complacent in our Christian life. In verse number 7, he fears that they could compromise. Notice what he says, that you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. He said, I want you to avoid the dead gods of Canaan. There's still a few of these folks that live here 
He said, I, you don't even need to learn. You, you already have a God and you serve the living God. You serve the God that parted the waters of the Red Sea. You serve the God that gave the manna from heaven and the water from the rock of Horeb. You serve a living God. You don't even need to learn about these other gods. One of the concerns I have today in America, even among God's people, is I hear folks say sometimes, well, we have to be respectful of other religions. And I want to tell you, friend, we're respectful of all people. We don't need religion. We need faith in God. Amen. We come to the place that those words can hardly be said in church for fear that we might offend someone. I want to tell you, if you don't serve the one and true God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one that gave life and through his son created and did all things, friend, you may have religion, but you don't know God. Don't want to compromise. And he feared that they would compromise. He cautioned them about becoming complacent. He cautioned them about compromise. And then in verse number 8, he cautioned them about their lack of commitment. You see, as time goes along and we enjoy blessings more and more, we get to the place that we say, well, it, it wouldn't matter if I miss my job here. It wouldn't matter if I miss this service. It wouldn't matter if I didn't read my Bible today. And, 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 and we come to the place that we lose our commitment. Notice what he says to them in verse number 8. But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. Now, the Bible makes an amazing statement about Joshua. The Bible says, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. He was a good leader. He, 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 he was a good speaker. He was a good reminder of the things that were important. And here he's telling them, I fear, I caution you about losing your commitment. And he uses the word cleave. Cleave unto the Lord doesn't mean to visit now and again. It means to cleave unto the Lord. It reminds me of the story and the illustration I've often used. I saw years ago on the news where a child had fallen down into a well and the rescuers came to rescue her and they shined the lights and they saw her there and she was alive but was afraid and they began to descend down and they lowered a rope. They didn't have to tell her to hold on tight, friend. When she could get a hold of that rope, she got a hold of it and she held on to it. And that's what he's saying right here, cleave to the Lord. When it comes to the place in your life that when you think of God, you can take it or leave it today, you're going to get in trouble. And now he's talking to people that things are going well. He's talking to people that they haven't had any war in their land, that they'd had peace in their land, uh, they were uh, enjoying life, they were enjoying the blessings of God. And that, friend, is when we often lose our commitment. We need to be committed in our walk with God. We need to com be committed in our prayer life. We need to be committed in our witnessing to others. We need to be committed to our local church. We need to be committed in our giving and our faithfulness and tithes and offerings. He said, I want to caution you now. Don't lose your commitment. He gives them some cautions and then he challenges them. And the challenge is long. It goes from chapter 23, verse number 9, into chapter 24 and through verse number 24. So we have uh, these verses here uh, from 
chapter 23, verse number 9, through chapter 24 and verse number 24, he challenges them. And he challenges them in specific areas. He challenges the elders and later the people as they join this crowd to observe certain truths about God. It's interesting, the first one that he challenges them in is don't forget the wrath of God. Don't forget the wrath of God. You see, you're at a time of blessing right now and there's peace between us and God. But I want to remind you, God is a wrathful God when it comes to sin. I got along with my mom and dad pretty good as long as I obeyed. But I'm going to tell you something. You stepped out of line, they got a terrible attitude. Notice what he says in chapter 23. And notice down here in verse number 9. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you. And he hath, as he hath promised you, Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you and not one thing has failed thereof. And he goes on and for sake of time I'll not read the rest of the verses but he goes on to warn them. But if you become disobedient the wrath of God will come upon you. I don't know about you, but I fear the wrath of God. Now read what happened to David when he stepped out of the will of God. Now read what happened to Samson when he stepped out of the will of God. Now read what happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they stepped out of the will of God. Don't ever forget the wrath of God. And I don't have to worry about the wrath of God in my obedience. When you step out of line, you better understand... God is a jealous God and he punishes those. That's good advice for any generation right there. That came at the time after the children of Israel had received the promised land and things were going well. But don't forget the wrath of God. And then in 13 verses of chapter 24, he tells them, don't forget about the works of God. 
And we find here yet another chapter, and there's so many in the Bible, that God rehearses what he had done for them. He rehearses delivering them from the land of Egypt. He rehearses delivering them across uh, the Red Sea and caring for them. And what he is saying here and how it would apply to our lives, don't forget how good God's been to us. See, once I was lost, was in the rags of my sin, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within, but with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings in pity and love, he took me under his wings. And oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my veins, and I who is wretched and blind now can see, praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. Let me remind you of the day you got saved. Let me remind you of the day that you were delivered from your sin and the wrath of sin. Let me remind you of the blessings that God has given to you in your life. Don't forget the wrath of God, but don't you forget the works of God and how good he has been to us. All of us have to admit this morning that God not only is good to us, but God is better to us than we deserve. I'm thankful this week to have heard from maybe a dozen folks that have said, Preacher, I just wanted to share a blessing with you. God's been mighty good to me this week. And even those that have gone through trials and difficulties have testified of the goodness of God. Even those who are struggling, trying to get their life back on track and back in the will of God have testified this week of the goodness of God. This is good advice for any generation. Don't forget about the wrath of God. Don't forget about the works of God. And then there's a challenge in verses 14 through 18. Don't forget about the will of God. Now, he didn't save you to be just set free. He saved you to serve. Many folks think today that God just saved us from the wrath of sin and saved us from the eternal punishment of hell. And he saved us and he set us free but I'm not free to do what I want to do. I am free now to choose, not forced, but to choose to do the will of God in my life. Look, if you will, in chapter 24, and let's go down here to verse number 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Notice that word whom. It's not if you will serve. All of us are serving someone. And those who think that they're serving themselves, you're pleasing the devil because he doesn't care what you serve just so you don't serve God. And he says here, choose you this day whom you'll serve. And he says whether the gods which your father served uh, that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It'd be a good thing if you and I just restated again, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It'd be a good thing for teenagers to just go ahead and sign up again. I'm going to serve God with my life. 
a challenge about the wrath of God, a challenge about the works of God. Don't forget how good God's been to you. A challenge about the will of God. By the way, he tells them in verse number 15 to choose whom they will serve. And, he, and, and, and this is so important. Get a hold of this. He said, some folks are not going to serve to choose God. But I am. And can I say it doesn't matter who around you decides they're not going to serve God. Don't use that for an excuse. Don't use that for a measuring stick. Just decide I'm going to serve God in his will. Serving God is not by comparison to another. Serving God is by comparison to the will of God. And so he tells them, don't forget the wrath of God now. You've been blessed for so long. You've seen the goodness of God. You've seen the favor of God. You've seen the miracles of God. You've seen the power of God. Don't you forget now, if you're not careful, you go out and sin, you'll, you'll get the wrath of God. I don't want you to forget that. They said, don't forget the works of God. He's been good to us. Don't forget the will of God. And then, this is interesting, verses 19 through 24, he, he, he tells them to consider God's witness. And this passage of Scripture, and I wish I had 30 minutes and I have three. Here's what he says. Doesn't matter what you say, what matters is what you do. Doesn't matter what you're saying, what matters is what you do. Look at it. Verse number 19, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. Then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. The people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. He says, God's watching, God sees us. Woe be unto the Christian that sings on Sunday morning, Oh, how I love Jesus, but then their life shows their love for the world in the week. He said, the same God that's been good to you, he'll hurt you. I need to be reminded of that. God's witness what God has said. Now, here's how we'll finish. Joshua said, we're going to make a stone. We're going to make a memorial because I want you to make a covenant. You said you'll serve God. I don't want you to sign a paper. I, I, I don't want you to make a verbal commitment. We're going to put a statue up that we're not going to forget that we promised we will serve the Lord. In Joshua chapter 24 and verses 25 through 28, Joshua, before he dies, he has a great stone, a monument, a memorial put up uh, to the fact that the people have sworn to follow the Lord. And thereafter, whenever they would pass by that place, that, that memorial, they would remember their oaths and they would remember their promises and they would be reminded to make sure they lived on what they promised God on this particular day. Now, you and I don't put up monuments we don't put up stones to remind us, but may I remind you in preaching today, there was a day you trusted Christ as Savior. 
Don't ever forget from that time forward, you're a child of the king. Perhaps there's been a time in your life that you came to full surrender before God. Uh, Joshua had a stone put up so they would never forget they had promised to serve God. I want to tell you it's a dangerous thing to make an oath to God, to make a promise to God and turn back on that promise. And he put up that memorial. It would be something like the memorials that are uh, built there around uh, uh, where the twin towers were uh, were that says uh, never forget and they're reminders for us to think about uh, what happened on that day of 9-11 and never forget and that's what uh, Joshua does here. He has a memorial put up and he said didn't you promise to serve God every time you see the memorial you need to remember I promised I gave my life to serve God. I could take you to the place today in southeast Kentucky where I, on a Sunday night, pulled a church van over beside an old graveled road where I'd taken folks home from church. And I, was, and I stopped on my way home after taking everybody to their house. And I pulled over beside the road. I got out of that old church van. I looked up into a sky that was filled with stars. And I said, God, I want to give you my life. To me, the biggest thing or the furthest thing I could imagine promising God was I'll be a missionary to Africa. I thought that was the farthest place and the most difficult thing I could ever do. I said, God, I'll go to Africa. I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm giving myself to you. I don't want to ever forget that day because my life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to him. Sadly, the book of Judges covers a period of 400 years where they forgot their covenant. They forgot the promise that they made. The Bible says, and they did that which was right in their own eyes. There was division. There was deceit. There was unnecessary death that followed. I don't know about you, but I fear taking back a promise I've made to God. This is good advice for any generation, but I use it as a reminder to say, let's stay as close as we've ever been to the God of heaven. Let's be committed. Let's, and if it's necessary to rededicate our lives back to the place where we once were closest to him. Stand with me this morning if you're here and you've never received Christ as Savior. You ought to trust him today. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful heavenly Father. He's a wonderful provider. He's the best friend you'll ever have. If you've never trusted him, trust him today. If you've been saved but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, you ought to make public your profession of your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're here as a child of God and perhaps you're away from the commitment you once made to serve him. Perhaps you need to find a place somewhere between your seat and this altar and say, Lord, I want to go back to that place of surrender. I want to follow this counsel of this good man, Joshua, in my life. Heavenly Father, bless the invitation, I pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you have and are doing a work that only you can do. When we see the condition of our nation, 
We can only recognize that it is sin and disobedience that has brought such division. And while one group blames another, the truth is all of us are guilty. And all of us, Lord, need to be sure our sins are confessed and we are right with you. And understand the hope of our nation does not rest in us. But it rests in you and oh how we ought to be obedient to you. Bless our invitation, I pray. I pray that decisions that should be made, they would be made. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.